<laughs> Hi, Internet. Hey. <laughs> I didn't warn Melissa's, John at Melissa's all. brain. I was like, oh, wait. I pushed the button before. I pushed the button. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I realized that the other day that I uh, I feel like uh, my my... My my brain thinks faster than sometimes the rest of my body does, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, we're both eager to talk about Shadowlands. Yes, because um, I had never seen it before. Absolutely loved it, and we both are are C.S. Lewis fangirls. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I didn't know that this was a uh, Richard Attenborough John, <laughs> but Richard Attenborough did a movie. Is it a joint? When you call it a movie, it's a what, joint. I guess it depends like, on what part of Philadelphia you're from. No, that's what they call Spike Lee's things. Oh, that's joint. true. Yeah, they say joint, which is funny. So it's a Richard Attenborough joint. In Philly, we have this thing called John. Oh, that's right. John. That, that is an all-purpose word. <laughs> um, but Attenborough is somebody that I had heard of, but I don't necessarily know that I've seen anything specific that he did before. I only ever too, which is terrible, but I had thought of him more as like he does voiceovers for stuff. Oh, right, because, yeah, that's his side. Because he has an awesome voice. That's his side hustle. His <laughs> side doing. hustle. Doing voice for, for, for nature things, like <laughs> like Jurassic Park. Mm. Right? Isn't that who he references in Jurassic Park? Because Richard Attenborough spared no expense. I can just pay this guy to do voiceovers <laughs> in my park. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe I had seen some of, um, like, I have a reference for... Uh, I don't even know if that's his movie. The movie where Ben Kingsley played Mahatma Gandhi. For some reason, I associate that with him, but oh, that might not even I don't be know. his movie. Uh, but wh- while I'm fact-checking that, um, that was the, the first surprise, was that he was doing it. Um, and then I also didn't know that uh, C.S. Lewis's girlfriend was uh, from New York. <laughs> and so it was much more down to earth as a movie than I expected it to be much because they, they wrote her character as this person that really grounded him. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, if you hear about this movie, you, you likely hear that it's about his relationship with this woman who eventually died. And you say, why would I subject myself to that? (laughs) Right. That those types of tragic love stories are not something that public parlance is like, I'm I'm ready for this now. <laughs> but thankfully, with this month, we were trying to get into different things about the Inklings that we might not be aware of. And that was one major gap in my knowledge of him, was the, the particulars about that relationship that he had with Joy. Is there is there a specific, because you said you read, he wrote a book about, Yes. Uh, a lot, well, several books about his life, but one book pretty good about that. So describe some of that. <laughs> um, I actually don't know that I have read Shadowlands, now that I think about it. Oh, right. <laughs> I've read Surprised by Joy, which is his earlier life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that I read Shadowlands. I think I only saw it. But he is very much more concerned with what he learned and what the philosophical thing that he got out of that portion of his right. life is than necessarily giving you lots of facts. Mm-hmm. So even though in like surprise by Joey, he does give you some of the facts, like the horrible boarding school he went to and how, um, when his mother died, what that did to him and his brother and what their father was like and stuff like that. But it's not belaboring any of those facts. Mm-hmm. It was more of a, this is where 
my head was going at the time. And these are the, some reasons why, but this is what I learned. And like, so it was a lot more philosophical than you're probably expecting a biography to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that there's a couple lanes in which memoirs fall. And uh, there were two that I read in Kappa, the creative and performing arts high school um, <clears throat> that were um, year of magical thinking and uh, name all the animals. I think there was a portion of name all the animals that I read and we read uh, multiple, multiple messages, if not all of your magical thinking and the year of magical thinking is interesting. It's Joan Didion. And she's talking about how when her husband passed away, there's that year of like almost like magical realism that your brain does after somebody that close to you dies. And so she was talking about like waking up in the morning and thinking that he was still alive. Right. And like all that kind of stuff. So it's it's interesting because it's it's talking about a lot of metaphysical experiences, um, but it's much more what you would expect like you were saying about different details and, and uh, I, imagining like C.S. Lewis did a lot of apologetics. And so that, that, that lane that he was in of um, a lot of, and like we experienced with watching Tolkien, it was very difficult for people to uh, talk about, you know, those types of metaphysical things without being written off as sent overly sentimental and so I could imagine that that would be one reason why um, it takes that that kind of turn. Um, but the, I think the film was a good way of translating the the viscerality of this event. And it 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 with both Tolkien and this, I was just like, how are they going to make this interesting for the viewer? And both of them, I think, did an excellent job. It with uh, acting and how they weave things into the narrative. To be fair, I'm pretty sure we could probably watch Anthony Hopkins read the phone book and we would think it was interesting. Right. So uh, a significant portion of why this movie was good is his acting ability in mm. the movie. Um, John pointed out a lot of how subtle his emotions were mm. because they start the movie with C.S. Lewis being a very comfortable old man, you know, happy in his bachelorhood happy in his position at, at the you know, as a professor um, and kind of not needing to be very in touch with his emotions, not needing to be, um, that's another good word. I don't know, but he, he's not, you know, flamboyant. He's not angry. He's not, you know, he's just. Right. There, there's things that you might associate with good acting, right? but until you've seen somebody like, him or uh, Ian McKellen. Uh, um, right. When all he needs is a slight change of expression <laughs> or, or, you know, moving his glance from one thing to another to to give you what's going on inside of his head right. is amazing. Yeah, because there's a lot of that early on in the film when they're building the tension of um, the situation being that uh, Joy was this woman who liked him from his writing, wanted to meet him. And knowing, you know, she's still, she's married to someone. So you, you get across this idea of like, it, it's not like women, you know, throw themselves at him all the time. And his type of writing, you know, this being somewhat after uh, 
the Narnia series, or at least the Lion, the Witch, or the Wardrobe, that's within the text, they talk about that. Um, you, this is just kind of a new territory for him. And so you get the idea that like he um, enjoys this type of attention, but also that he's being super, you know, gentlemanly about this and not trying to make sure, making sure that nobody else gets the wrong idea right, and stuff like right. that. And then slowly but surely, it's pretty obvious to him that there's something wrong. It finds, it turns out, you know, her husband is an alcoholic and abusive uh, and yeah. Um, having an affair with somebody else. Right. And so there are very subtle visual ways that Anthony Hopkins communicates to us that he wants to be a good friend to joy and he wants to, and he obviously is in love with her, but he is afraid to get out of his comfort zone. Right. And so it was a very good adult story. Like nobody was acting, um, you know, we, we're going to get a lot of that because we're watching um, Warehouse 13. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me how in that show there's that uh, there's that uh, subtle, you know, over seasons thing of these two characters getting closer. And they're usually very ham-fisted about certain misunderstandings because they want the, the audience to be like, we want these people to get together, but there are a lot of cheap ways to create misunderstandings. And then some of like, think of like uh, Diane and um, uh, what's it, Sam from. Uh, oh, from the, Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Like there's a lot of character flaws that, that both of them have. And there's just this kind of idea of like, this is just a, there's different gimmicky things that like he's never going to stop being a womanizer. She's never going to stop being a nagging, you know, overbearing person. And, but there's not really a progression over the series of right. them fixing those problems. They just are uh, this animal attraction that they develop. Um, but yeah, all that to say that the uh, Lewis and Joy in, within the movie are both very uh, honest with each other. But then there's this thing of like Joy wants him to be able to get out of his out of this comfort zone that he's set up for himself um, and go, go into a little bit of this. I've talked enough. <laughs> go into a little bit about how, how it does that, um, how it shows like that he's in this, he right. set up this thing for himself. Right. So he's, he's obviously already famous. Um, he, and he is, he is very much about being in control of when that happens. Right. Like he goes on lecture circuits. Oh. He has, uh, <laughs> his students at the, at the school, but it's not like, you know, people are mobbing him when he's walking down the street. Most like the average person probably didn't know what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Most of us didn't even really know what he looks like <laughs> nowadays. Um, so it's not, you know, like the superstar status. It's this very like, I'm here because I am, you know, this, this professor that you've all heard about and I am knowledgeable about all these Christian things. And I'm going to like tell you how it is. Okay. Um, Which is, I they set up a good dichotomy of he's very, passionate about what he believes right while at the same time setting up that there is a difference between being a uh apologist in the 1950s and being a celebrity author now right and so he has all this character which is why you're if you're watching this movie you're watching it because it's about c.s lewis you want you want all those things about him that you know from his writing right 
but it it also it sets up that he has groats, but he's not boorish or no, you know, yeah, because no, there are other professors at his school that uh, are, yeah. So you can see a difference between him and the other professors, mm. and how he actually cares about his students and stuff like that. Like he's not like a horrible, he's not a horrible person, mm. um, but he is very much comfortable, and and to some extent. Anybody who knows about his early life would know, you know, well, he deserves to be comfortable now, right? Like he's written all of his stuff. He's been through, he lost his mother when he was very young. Uh, he had a horrible family life. Um, actually, part that happened during the middle of his life is he kind of fell in with this other family whose mother was very, very controlling, but because he hadn't had a mother figure, like he just gravitated, gravitated toward her uh, and lived with them for a very long time <coughs> and kind of got stuck taking care of her when she was older. And a lot of people didn't like that relationship that he had. Like they, they knew she was kind of using him uh-huh. for a lot of stuff. Oh. Um, so, you know, he, he didn't exactly have a great history with women anyway. Mm-hmm. And he didn't exactly have a great family life. Mm-hmm. He had a rough time. Yeah. Um, like the boarding school he went to was run by a like legitimately insane person. And like it was all kinds of horrible stuff. Um, so at some point you're thinking, well, okay, look, I've earned this. I can sit here now and be comfortable and not have to worry about, um, you know, these big challenges in my life. I don't have to worry about a lot of it is challenging his, um, his beliefs, right? Mm. He's like, I know what I believe. I'm telling people what I believe. This is the truth. Like he's seen it happen in his life. I don't need it to be challenged again. Mm. And the, the movie does a really good way point of showing that, you don't get to, to decide that, right? God decided you need to see suffering again in your life mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. right? Not just to get, bust you out of your comfort zone and uh-huh. say, no, you don't get to think that you've arrived. You haven't arrived. <laughs> Nobody's mm-hmm. arrived. Uh-huh. Also, you know, to make it so it doesn't seem like he's a hypocrite where he's now in this comfy life, but running around trying to tell other people about suffering in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you need to remember yeah. what this and is. There's a there's an image that's, that's so beautiful that it, that it sets up in the beginning um, where he's in a class with other, um, with, with students. It's very small. Yeah. They, in, in, um, at Oxford, you, <laughs> you don't sign up for classes. You sign up for prof- professors. Oh, okay. So there are some things that are lectures that you go to the lecture. Like there's a lecture series that you would go to, uh-huh. but then there's other times where it's like, no, I'm following this professor for this stu- type of oh, study. Okay. So those were his, his literally his, people oh yeah so yeah he's in one of these smaller classrooms with people that as you're saying decide up to be there um and he is describing this this picture from a poem i believe it was and it's a rose in oh yeah a rosebud in the middle of a, of a fountain or something yeah like that. Uh, and so he's, he's asking them to describe what that means that image and he he basically uses it to tell them that it's this pure uh protected thing um and you knowing what the story is going to be if you're aware of, of what's going to happen with him and joy um it's setting up that there's this thing that he has to to go through to get this very pure and powerful thing um, and that's the, the love that he has for joy. And um, it was just a nice way of setting up that there are these things that he had and he thought he was secure in his his convictions 
of it. So, like, he has these beliefs that he talks about, but there was something about, you know, God using that in his life to show him, like, there's this beautiful, precious gift that I have to give you. Yeah, but you and, have to go through this to but, get yeah, there. But there's a lot that lot that he has I think to go it's through. a it's a good way to to show the difference. We, we talk a lot in um at least in our Christian circles about the difference between knowing Christ in your mind, like knowing facts about right. your doctrine and knowing facts about what your church teaches and actually having the experience and and heartfelt faith in those ideals. Mm-hmm. So this was his trial showing, okay, you have all this stuff in your head and you're running around preaching this to everybody else. Do you actually believe this? Right. I wrote down uh, making uh, joy in spite of pain real is different than vague inspiration or cheap like sentimentality. Right. And so there, everybody's uh, in, in their spiritual life is on a different um, like point in their journey. And, and in our church, we talk about that all the time. Um, and it's it's the inclination for some people, especially teachers like C.S. Lewis, is to um, talk about these kind of like principles. And there could be certain aspects of his life, like, you know, growing growth that he had from the death of his mother, growth that he had from dealing with such a harsh schooling environment. But there was another trial that he was going to have to go through, and that it, none of the principles were going to save him. Right. It it was the actuality of of appreciating the beauty of of what he had, both in his relationship and in his relationship with God, and it did a good job of the movie did a good job of practicing what it was preaching through that theme of showing that there are certain things that he did. He prayed before he went to bed at night. And, and he spoke to Christian teachers and stuff like that. But it, it wasn't moralizing to the audience. It was very much embedding that within his relationship with joy. And it showed how strong joy was as a Christian, as a, as a, a woman that was interested right. in Lewis, yeah. to understand that about his character and very humbly teach him that <laughs> through their relationship, that he had a lot of... Um, things that he was holding on to as important that later he realized it's not important because I had this amazing, I'm about to cry. Um, uh, like, because that, and Anthony Hopkins did a good job of showing that journey. Yeah. That there were a lot of different subtle lessons that he's learning. Right. Because he goes from like, okay, she's just my friend because she's married to somebody else and I'm not making this anything more than that. And he was very careful to be like, yeah, okay, she's a cool person, but mm-hmm. I know how this is, to, oh, hey, she's back, and she's divorced, and okay, but she's still my friend, right? So we're just, we're cool. But it was a different kind of, like, okay, she's just my friend. It was, uh, okay, she's just my friend, and that's what he's telling himself, yeah. <laughs> and what he's telling other people, right. but you start to and, realize that and, he himself is, like, gravitating towards her, right. and she knows it. So the beauty of what she her character was, which was fun, is that she knows there's stuff he's not saying. Yeah. And she knows his friends are all like, oh, what's he up to? Yeah. And she's like, forget you guys. I'm gonna make it look like we're up to all kinds of fun stuff. And y'all are just gonna I'm just gonna laugh at you later because uh, you think this is, you know, right. terrible. And then then there's the marriage so that she can stay in Britain part, mm-hmm. where she's just like, I really hate to ask you this, but like mm. there's no other way for me to stay in this country and I need to stay away from my husband. Uh-huh. So they get married technically, 
and don't do anything about it. They don't live together or anything. And she's getting frustrated because she's just like, dude, I know you like me. Like, <laughs> what is the problem? Right. And everybody else thinks that we're up to all kinds of mischievous stuff and we're not doing anything. And she's like half thinking it's funny, but right. half hurt because he's not, right. not even going to be telling himself yeah. what's going on. And, and that was a good, that was a good, uh, a good point to, and <laughs> for those of you waiting in suspense, Richard Attenborough did direct Gandhi. <laughs> I so looked it up and I, it and was great information for me, but you guys know. Um, but yeah, he, he did a good job uh, the, from the directing to the acting to the writing to embody this idea that um, in a relationship like this with people that are, you know, at, at least over 40 uh, with both of them, that they're at this place where they're both very honest about what they, what their beliefs are. Right. But then they were also both ready to have those beliefs challenged. And I, I appreciated that it didn't a, a lot about tragic romances like this, the, the, the death is a cheap way to get emotion out. Right. And so what I thought was beautiful was the showing of, the whole third act, it feels like this climax of showing this beautiful relationship for the time that they had it. So it introduces that she uh, had gets the diagnosis and you're, you know, with Lewis, you're just like, well, this is screwed up. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the, the, the scene where he finally breaks down because somebody is talking to him and he's, you know, they're asking how she's doing and all right. that kind of stuff. And, <clears throat> And he's trying to like get through it without breaking down. And right. the guy's like, well, I mean, it's not like your family. And Lewis is like, no, no. Cause it's ridiculous. Right. It's completely ridiculous that I could possibly feel anything for this woman and that it's tearing me apart. Like he just goes off in this whole speech and you're like, Whoa, dude. And, he's and like, so that, that, that is a very like an apropos reaction right. from somebody that is that convinced that he believes. Yeah that this happens all the time that you are, should be able to choose suffering, you know, for love. Right. Um, and that, that was a brilliant way of showing that. And uh, she goes into remission. And they're like, this is it. We're going to take what time we have right. and we're going to go enjoy our, and, our lives. And joy is, is it's very good at having her be like, I'm trying to prepare you for when I'm going to be yeah. gone. Yeah. And you get this beautiful, you get that rose within the uh, the uh, fountain. You get this this beauty within this larger framework that that C.S. Lewis doesn't you know completely understand. And it shows him after she passes away breaking down. This is the part where yeah, where I you, always cry. If you don't cry, then there's because something. up until the, even the scene before where he got upset that people wouldn't <clears throat> think that he would love her where he tries to go out after her passing and people are trying to talk to him about it. And he's angry. Like he's yeah. kicked at them. He just, he blows up. Like right. all of those scenes I can handle. Cause I'm just like, oh, well, of course it hurts. He's hurting, you know, blow. But then he comes up and talks to her son. who is sitting up in the attic, staring at the wardrobe that isn't leading anywhere, which he was ticked about at the beginning of the movie, right. which was adorable. Cause if you go to CS Lewis's house and he has an old wardrobe in his attic, you're expecting it to open up into someplace. Awesome. Um, and they just totally, both of them break down because she's gone. And I can't keep it together at that point. Because yeah. watching uh, Anthony Hopkins cry is just painful. <laughs> um, 
and so b- before we wrap up, I like the 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 wardrobe as that symbol that that gets brought back with that, and it's it's such a good way of showing what the sun is going to. Yeah, that there's this idea of this being, you know, he perceives that as being this magical thing, and then when he sees it, he's disappointed that it's like doesn't go anywhere. But then when he goes back to that, that's a very like as a directing thing, as yeah. a location selection for that scene, it's a good subtle thing of being like, you know, this is and C.S. Lewis with all of his age, with all of his education, needs to have that moment. Too. Yeah, he still also needs to be like, I want her back. Right. Because no matter what you believe about what happens after, the pain of that loss is still there. And even though you think, like, Lewis believed that he would see her again, it still hurts a yeah. lot. And it, there is no shame and nothing wrong in the crying and missing of someone that leaves. Right. And actually, the, I'm trying to remember how they put it, but there's a phrase that they say that she tells him when she's talking about, you know, you have to be ready for me leaving. Uh-huh. And she says, the pain then is part of the happiness now. Mm. Like yeah. the read the the fact that I am going to die makes this real, right? Like because you can sit and daydream about perfect romances and perfect happy endings all the time, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. You have to face the fact that we die, that things go wrong, and all of that, and that pain is part of the joy that you have on the earth. Mm-hmm. That even yeah. though it's going to be gone soon enough, um, yeah. Um. So I, I think for those of you who look at a movie like this and find it intimidating for whatever reason, whether you have had a loss in your life and you feel like it's going to be challenging for that reason, or just biopics like this, you know, make you think this is just going to be very dry, it subverted both of those yeah, expectations yeah. for me. Um, that it's that it isn't just a one to one, like you know, uh, basically taking all this it's very much inspired by what he went through emotionally for books like surprised by joy, but that those more. Oh. Hi internet. Sorry for the interruption there. I had a date I needed to attend to. Um, and that's a good way of showing you why, uh, some of this, uh, episode meant so much to me. Uh, the relationship between, uh, CS Lewis and joy, uh, meant a lot to me because I had somebody there for me uh, recently when um, when my dad passed. And uh, I found that that's a little bit more important um, at times than some of the things that we prioritize. Got a little bit deep there. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the reason we got interrupted. I had a, uh, a ride uh, that's run by the city, and sometimes they don't always run in your schedule. Um... So we were kind of wrapping up all there anyway, uh, and I think this is, is a good opportunity to uh, have a little chat between me and you, a little fireside discussion. Um, Inklings Month was uh, our way of sharing our uh, interest in uh, academic and uh, really fun classic literature fusion uh, that we've been approaching, and, and that's kind of been the the village in which we've lived in. Um, but if you've enjoyed any of this podcast, feel free to let us know uh, what of our uh, efforts has been fruitful for you and uh, what you think we can do to improve. Uh, it seems like there are some of our listeners that are uh, 
interested in in the Inklings months, and uh, in having like a themed month. So let me know if that works for you, or if there's just something about C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, um, Chesterton, and some of the other people that we've touched on that particularly get you going. Uh, and let us know how we can keep that going in the future. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, you can also enjoy the upcoming bonus episode. We thankfully were able to talk to the creator of Kyria. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, Matt. Um, our uh, friend of the show, Matt Krotz, who, um, a recent friend of the show, was uh, gracious enough to give us some time to talk about uh, more of the medieval inspirations for C.S. Lewis's writing. Uh, he knew much more than I could ever say about what C.S. Lewis was studying. And so if you're interested in uh, the Jovian influences in Aslan or uh, something as simple as uh, the wardrobe and what it means to me and what um, how that was used within the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, take a listen to the bonus episode uh, it's, it should be up at, at the same time this is going up. So uh, please enjoy and enjoy the rest of England's month. And again, you can hit us up at unboxingstorypodcast at gmail.com or at Unboxing Story on Facebook and Twitter if you want to get our attention. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>